So we're uh, wrapping up our series this summer. I don't know if you can believe it, but summer's pretty much over because we're at the end of 1 John. We're in the last verse. And it's just one verse this morning that we're going to cover. So John ends his letter uh, by saying this. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Just one verse. That's it. It's all he's got for us today. Seems, I mean, seems pretty straightforward, right? Keep yourself from idols. Cool. All right. Well, I'll pray. We can go home. I think that's it. Beat everybody else to, to the, you know, for lunch. Go out to eat, whatever. Okay, so maybe not, right? It's an easy verse. Sounds straightforward. But it's a lot harder than we think. And, you know, idolatry, maybe that sounds kind of like an old, an old school problem, something we don't really have. Because, I mean... You know, back in John's day, like, you know, they had all these temples and statues, and you would, you know, have little statues of all these different gods, and you would maybe put them on the, like, the mantle above your fireplace or something, and you would pray to each of them, you'd make sacrifices to them, you know, you would go by the different temples and do what you needed to do to appease each and every god. So it might just, you know, just kind of seem like, well, that was a problem back then, we don't really have that problem anymore, that's not really an issue. And, you know, we don't have statues, we don't have all these other temples, and it's not as easy to know when somebody's got an idolatry problem. Like, you don't just walk into somebody's house and be like, hey, Joe, notice you got a statue of Thor over there, uh, and not from the movie, uh, you, uh, you got a problem, buddy? You, are you praying to Thor for something? What's going on, right? We don't really have that, uh, that problem anymore. But John's whole point, the reason he ends, because it seems weird that you would end a letter with this. You know, like if you, you know, if you were writing a paper in school and this was your concluding sentence, your teacher would probably, like, that's not a great conclusion. You, you try something a little different, you know. But the reason John ends with this is not because it's an accident. It's so intentional. Because everything John has been writing about in First John, you can undo all of it if you just get an idol. Get yourself an idol and everything John's been trying to teach us and show us and command us to do unravels. Because John's been showing us how God is the God of truth, of light, of life, and love. And nothing else can take his place. Nothing else can, can satisfy the desires we have. No one else can help solve our problems or deal with what we're going through. But idols will try to say they can, they can meet those needs, at least for a little bit. At least in a way they can do that. And they, they want to take center stage in our lives. So while idolatry may look a little different today than it did 2,000 years ago, we still have our idols, and we still have our problems. You know, there's a, a TV show on right now that is based on a book series called American Gods. I think it was on the New York Times bestselling list for a while. And the story, the basic plot is the old gods from like, Greek, Egyptian, and Norse mythology are still around. So like, you know, Odin and, and people like that. But they have no power because no one really worships them anymore. Nobody follows them. No one has statues, you know, in their house or temples to them. But they want their power back. So they have to defeat the new gods. And the new gods are these characters that are gods over things like media, modern transportation, technology, and there's even a character who is the god of conspiracy theories. 
and they have all this power because people worship them, people come back to them over and over and over again. And so the basic plot is the old gods are trying to figure out how to beat the new gods and get their power back. And so our idols look different than they might have 2,000 years ago. And sometimes it's hard because, like, we don't give our idols names, right, or faces. You know, like, like for example, like, let's just say, like, if the god of social media, like, let's just say if his name was Keith. And we had a picture of Keith. And I'm sorry if your name is Keith. But, you know, we had a picture of Keith. We had a s- little statues of Keith. And you could pray to Keith, like, oh, Keith, I need your help. I just, I, I could use some new followers. It's been a rough week. Could I have some more likes? Could you please help or oh, Keith, I really messed up a couple years ago, and I I made a tweet, and it was a joke, but now I don't think it'll be taken as a joke. Oh, Keith, mighty Keith, could you erase that tweet off the internet completely? Could you, I could really use your help, Keith. Maybe if we did that, we'd recognize, okay, I have a problem because I'm praying to this guy named Keith about my social media account. Maybe we would recognize that. But our idols, they just, they just look different today, and we don't always know they're there. And we're not maybe even sure we want to admit that we have them. We just think, ah, not, not, not quite for me. So what's an idol? Many of you probably know, but there's a few ways we could, we could say what an idol is. One way would just be to say, well, it's anything that comes between you and God. Another way would be to say an idol is you, when you make something created into your creator. Or you could put it as when you take something good and you make it your God. All kinds of ways we could describe, describe an idol. So uh, Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Gods at War, gives some questions to help us identify the idols in our lives. And I thought they were really good questions, so I just wanted to share them with all of you this morning. So here's some of his questions to discover if you have an idol. So where has disappointment become despair? What do you most complain about? What do you sacrifice your time, energy, and money for? What sin struggle do you long to be free from? What do you worry about? Where do you go when you're hurt? What do you dream of? What brings you the most joy? Whose applause do you long for? And I added this one. What do you make excuses for? Because I think on that list, you know, some of us would have some, some answers to that. And probably if you, even if you answer one, you could, you could have an idol, an idol in your life. But if you answer two or three, you probably have one. And oftentimes, idols, they don't want to be found out. So when we think we might have one, we start to get a little defensive. And we make excuses. And we, you know, we start to kind of sound like, well, it, it's just for a season. It's just for right now, not for forever. It's just, just a season. Or we say, well, I, I can stop or change whenever I want. I'm good. I can, I'm in control here, really. Or I have to do this. Otherwise, and then you fill in the blank. There's some, something bad will happen if you don't keep doing this thing or you don't keep going back to it. We just make excuses because our idols, they don't want to be dethroned. They want to stay where they're at. They want to hide behind excuses and keep you in the dark. But God, he's the one who wants to be on the throne. He wants to be the only one on the throne. But to get on the throne, he really wants your permission to sit there. Like, he doesn't want to have to force his way in. He wants you to invite him to sit down. You know, there's a reason that the first two of the Ten Commandments are actually about idolatry. Like, you know, the first command is, have no other gods before the Lord. 
which, is, which just talks about that, that way in which we take things and we make them more important than God. We put more time and energy into them. We sacrifice more for them. We make them a higher priority, and we just make them more important. And then the second commandment is don't make an image of anything and worship it, which is the other side. We take created things, good things that God has given us, and we turn them into gods. We try to make what he's created and given us as a gift, and we make it a god. And we do this with so many things. You know, like God gives us gifts and talents and abilities, and so we get a job to use those, and so we can, you know, give back to the world and help make a difference and do things we enjoy to do every day. But then we turn our career or our calling into an idol, and we work really long hours and and we keep giving and giving and giving and giving so we can get more value or affirmation or whatever it is, you know, or God gives us a family, and then we turn our family into an idol, or God gives us a spouse, and we try to turn our spouse into an idol. You know, when Jenna and I were in premarital counseling, our counselor kept saying, now, Justin, Jenna's going to be a great wife. She'll make a lousy God, and he said the same to me. Like, now, Jenna, Justin, he's, he should be a good husband, but he's going to be a lousy God. And sometimes we take something good that God has given us as a gift, and we make it our God. We try to serve it. We try to follow it. We try to appease it. And it works maybe for a little bit, but, but not forever. So asking these questions are helpful, but your idol doesn't want to be found out. It doesn't want to get dethroned. So here's three problems I want to run through real quick about what an idol will do to us and why we need to be careful about our idols. So the first problem is an idol will trap you in your sin. The second is an idol will always fail you. And the third and probably the most important and the biggest problem is an idol will change who you are. So that first problem is every idol will keep you trapped in your sin. Because here's the deal. Behind every single sin, if you follow that road, that trail, you will find at the end of your sin an idol. Behind the reason we do what we don't want to do, there's, there's really an idol there. There's something so important we keep going back, we keep acting a certain way, and we're not sure why. You know, there was, a, uh, there was this businessman who once confessed to his pastor that he uh, had been caught for tax evasion and fraud, and so he was in serious trouble. And he just came in, and he just couldn't understand how it got so bad. He just... He, He's like, I, my family doesn't know yet, but it's going to ruin them. I may have to do some jail time. He's like, I'm a smart guy. I'm really educated. I have a successful business. Like, I just don't understand it. I could have paid all, my, all the taxes, and I wouldn't even miss the money. I, you know, I could have lived just the same lifestyle I've had. Like, I don't know why I even did it. And the pastor said, well, it's, it seems like you, you made a lot of decisions along the way for your comfort and, and for your money. Like, yeah, I guess so. And says, so, have you ever thought that maybe your idol is your comfort and you just did whatever you could to keep it or to keep that number in your bank account as big as possible? He said, I, I never thought of it that way. It's like, well, maybe, maybe your problem is that's your idol. And you just kept going back and going back and going back, and now here you are in complete trouble because of it. An idol wants to keep you hooked on your sin and keep you coming back. But the next problem just builds on that, which is your idol will eventually fail you. Because all idols, they say, well, I can help you. I can meet your need. I can help you fix a problem. I can, I can help you. I can make you feel better, whatever it is. We go to an idol to solve a problem. And 
Maybe the first time, it works really well. Maybe the second time, it works pretty well. But maybe the 50th time, it doesn't work so well anymore. Like, it just has this diminishing return. And I think a lot of us realized we had idols during COVID. See, I think COVID was like an accelerator. And so instead of it taking maybe years for you to get to the point where that idol isn't helpful, COVID made that happen in a few months. Because especially while we were social distance and school was different and work was different and everything was different, you went to that idol more and more and more. Because you were lonely, you were bored, you, had, you were stressed, you were tired, whatever it was, you kept going back, kept going back, kept going back, and you even more quickly realized this thing doesn't help. And maybe you even started to feel bad. Like you just felt like this is, this is gross, this isn't helpful, I still feel bored, I still feel lonely, I still feel tired, I, you know, my problems, this isn't distracting me anymore from my problems, it's not solving my problems. And we realized instead of going to the God of life, we were going to an idol of death. And we just kept going back and going back. And I think God used COVID to hit the accelerator and show you this is not going to work. This is not good for you. Because an idol is going to keep you trapped in your sin. And then it's going to fail you when you need it most. But worst of all is an idol will change who you are. Because see, that's part, that's part of John's point throughout his letter is he's showing us that if you look to Jesus as your example, if you follow Jesus, if you look to him, you will look more like him. That's just a natural byproduct. You'll just look more like Jesus. Uh, so back in 2006, Rodney Atkins, really, I know I'm about to mention a country song, which I, I once promised myself, I'll never use country music in a sermon. It's just a little, but I grew up in Kansas. I'm supposed to know country music. I'm sorry if you really like country music. I don't. But anyway, Rodney Atkins, he released this psalm called Watching You. And it tells a pretty common story that maybe you've, you've had where you've got the, your young kid in the back seat. And in the, in the psalm, the way the story goes is they've gone through the McDonald's drive-thru. And he has to slam on the brakes. And the Happy Meal goes flying everywhere in his truck. And he you know, mumbles under his breath a little four-letter word. And then he hears his son in the back seat also say a four-letter word. And so he asks him, well, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? And the chorus kicks in, and he says, well, I've been watching you. Ain't that cool? And he goes on to talk about the things he's been seeing his dad do. And so it's like, isn't that cool, dad? Like, we both wear cowboy boots. We do both do this. We both, you know, isn't that cool? And you've probably all had that where, you know, your kid wants to be just like you or like somebody they look up to. And kids, you've probably got somebody you look up to, whether it's a teacher, a coach, your parents, somebody who makes a difference. It's like, I want to be just like that person. Now, the next verse of the psalm is a little more encouraging, all right? So Rodney, he sings along. He goes, so I went to the barn when we got home. I bowed my head, and I prayed real hard. And he goes, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. Maybe some of you need a prayer like that every once in a while. Like, God, just help me because I'm an idiot. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so he says that prayer, and then later he's, you know, walking past his son's bedroom, and he notices he's down on his knees at the edge of his bed, folding his hands, and Rodney sings, he was talking to God like he was talking to a friend. And so I asked my son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And he responds, and the chorus picks up, well, I've been watching you, ain't that cool? You know, it goes on and on and on. But we've all had that moment, right? There is somebody you looked up to. Some of you adults, you still look up to somebody. You're just like, I just hope I'm like them when I'm older. And we all look up to somebody. We want to be more like them. We imitate them. We learn from them. And John says, well, the same is true of Jesus. If you look to Jesus, you'll start looking more like him. 
And Jesus is the God of life, of light, and of love. So if you, if you follow Jesus, you'll start to imitate those things. You'll look more like him. Your relationship with him will go deeper. But the same is true for an idol. You follow an idol, and you'll look more like your idol. Whether that's that idol will teach you to be angry, that idol will teach you to be selfish, that idol might teach you to put certain things first in your life, to organize your life differently, how to make decisions, who to value. Like an idol will just change the kind of person you are. So a lot of times the question we need to be asking when we follow Jesus is really, who do I want to become? If I do this thing, it's not is it good or is it bad, it's, well, who is it going to turn me into? Is it going to make me look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Am I going to look more like the person I want to be or less? Because everything we follow turns us into somebody. Turns us into somebody. You know, and parents, you know, one of the questions a lot of people have been asking is, why is it that when kids grow up and they go to college, so many people fall away from their faith? Why is that? And there's all kinds of experts who've been studying this and research done. But I can tell you the number one thing is, it all has to do with what you're teaching them in your own home, how you're discipling them. Are you teaching your kid to put God first? Are you showing that it matters that we follow Jesus and do what he says? Does it matter that we pray? Does does fellowship with other believers matter? Or are you saying, well, we follow Jesus when it's convenient, right? Like if we're too tired, we won't go to church. Or do you teach your kids, well, really, do you teach them to follow God or a sports schedule? Do you teach them to sacrifice for God or only follow when it's easy and convenient? Because all those lessons, those are the roots that when they get to college, they'll look to. And when life is tough, did they learn at home that you hang on to God no matter what? Or did you learn when things get tough, you do something else? Because the idols that you have, mom and dad, your kids will learn to follow them too. Because they'll see you. So idols, they're a serious problem. Because they'll change who you are. They'll change your family. They'll change what you care about. They'll change what you value. They, they will change the way you act and live your life. So they just can't be ignored. So what, what on earth are we supposed to do about it, right? If we've got idols, what do we do? Well, the good thing is John tells us in this verse. He gives us one verb, keep. And now our Bible translations, uh, they're pretty tame on this word, keep. Uh, they, I wish they would have done a little more because it's just like kind of keep away from, stay at a distance. That's not what that word is. In Greek, that word is much more like you need to aggressively guard yourself from something. When I was in kind of middle school, early high school, every time I came home from school, there was this show on Discovery Channel right after school called It Takes a Thief. And it was a show about these two ex-criminals that had turned their life around, and then now they do this show for Discovery, where they, they find a house, they ask the homeowners, the family inside, hey, can we, like, break into your house, put a TV show together about it, and then we'll, like, fix up your house, give you a security makeover? So they find somebody to agree, and then they stake out the place, they pick the best time to break in, and they make the family watch in a security van, like watch all the hidden cameras in their house of this person breaking into their home and stealing all their stuff. And it always goes the same way. The homeowners are shocked, they're terrified, it makes them feel so anxious to see a man they've never met go through their house, get into their family heirlooms, their irreplaceable personal items, and take stuff to see somebody easily get, get into, like, 
banking records, social security cards, birth certificates, you know, for the dad to see the guy find the key to the trailer and he hooks up and takes off with the boat, uh, to see him go through the gun cabinet and take all the hunting rifles, and then to know there's a stranger out there with weapons with my name attached to them, and they always freak out. To see this person go through jewelry and the computer and in minutes be gone with so much of their stuff, and then their house is a total mess. And just the feeling of knowing somebody went through my house that I didn't even know and ruined it, it feels weird. And then, of course, they do the security makeover. They teach him a few steps to take to be safer. And then they say, all right, we'll be back in a few weeks when you don't know, and we'll try to break in again, and we'll see if all the measures that we've taken will work. And so a couple weeks later, they come back. They try to break in. Usually, they, they can't. The security system works. They can't find a good way in. But a few times, there's an episode where they do get back in. And it's always because somebody was too lazy and they just left the back door unlocked or they didn't feel like sitting the security system or they were really busy doing some, uh, some financial stuff and so they left the cabinet unlocked with all the bank records and personal information in there so they can steal your identity and your credit card. And it's just laziness. And so, you know, homeowners get home, there's these thieves sitting in their living room like, come on guys, you gotta do better. And it's, it's a wake-up call. And for a lot of us, we need like an idolatry security system, right? We need, you need to imagine there's like a throne in the middle of your life, and God wants to sit on it. He wants your invitation to, but there's also all these idols that are doing whatever they can to aggressively get to the throne. And some of you, your security system is the extent of a like do not touch sign, and you're hoping that'll work, and it doesn't work. We've all seen the do not touch sign. What do you do? You touch it. You just touch it. You, you have to. It's like that sign begs me. So what we need to do is set up like a security system. And some of you, what you need, you need motion detectors. You need like a laser grid like in the, in the you know, spy movies. You need like junkyard dogs patrolling the hallways. You need a, to hire a group of ex-Marines to like be on guard, vigilant all the time. That's what you need. So the way we build a security system is with awareness and action. So awareness would be like the questions I used at the beginning of this sermon. Having questions or things in your life to help you recognize when an idol starts to move in and to catch it. And then the, the action part is what are we going to do to get rid of the idol? And the best way to remove an idol is to replace it. Because you just get rid of it, something else will take its place or it'll come back with a vengeance. But if you replace it, it ain't coming back. And God gives us all kinds of great ways to replace our idols with something he offers that's so much better. Here's just one, one example of that. You know, for me, I know I've learned over the years that I am prone to making my job an idol. I tend to overwork. I tend, when I get to the bottom of my to-do list, I just add some more to-dos and I keep, I keep finding stuff to do. So I have learned I need to replace that with something better. So I replace it with Sabbath. God gave us the gift of Sabbath to help with things just like this. So every week, I have one day that's like my complete day off. No chores, no work. Like, I stay away from my phone. Like, I, I'm, I'm away from all of it. I'm detached. It's just, I'm getting away from it. And that day reminds me that God is really in charge, that he doesn't need me to work 24-7 to get things done. It reminds me that whatever fires there are to fight, God can take care of them. Whatever problems there are, God's bigger. He can handle that. He doesn't need me to keep working and working and working. So 
I typically take those take Mondays every week, and that's my Sabbath day. I disconnect. I you know I don't schedule anything. I don't plan stuff to do. I just that's my Sabbath day. And it, I've and at the beginning it was hard to do that because like I remember in college I would just think of all the homework I still had to do, like all the things I could get ahead of. I just kept making the mental list. But now it's gotten easier. And now I'm at the point where if I don't have that kind of Sabbath day, I kind of, I feel it in my spirit. Like, I feel tired in a way that a nap isn't going to fix. Like, I just know I need that day to remind me who's really in charge. It's not me. It's not work. It's God. And I need that. And I don't know what it is for you. But God offers every one of us something that's better than our idols. Something that won't fail us. Because John's point is, That God replaces the lies with the truth. He replaces darkness with light. He replaces hate with love. Whatever you need, he has it. Whatever your idol is, God will meet that need better than your idol. And when you need it most, he's not going to fail you. He just won't. And one of the best ways to deal with our idols is to worship. It's to put God at the front and keep him there. So here in the next couple minutes, the worship team is going to come back up and lead us through a psalm. And I just want you to, whatever you came in here with this morning, I don't know if, you know, it's just a really good day and you're glad to be here, or maybe you're kind of tired, you know, it's been been a long week, or maybe yesterday something really stressful happened or you're really worried about something, whatever it is, for just the next few minutes, I want you to just set that over to the side, just put it away. And I want you to focus on the words of this psalm And remember what God has done for you. Remember who he is in your life. And maybe for some of you, this psalm is your way to just commit yourself to God first, to putting God on the throne. And you need to see that you will build your life upon him as that commitment. So as we've seen this psalm, I'm going to head back to the parlor on my right, your left. And if you're here in the room, And you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, but you'd like to know what that looks like, I'd be happy to talk with you. Or if during the course of this sermon, maybe some of those questions got you thinking about an idol you might have, and you want to talk more about that, how to replace it, how to remove it, I'd be happy to talk with you about that as well. So just stand with me, and I'll pray for us as we continue to worship. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of life that you give each and every one of us. And God, I'm thankful that you always provide us with what we need when we need it. And I'm thankful that you never fail us. So God, I just ask that over these next few minutes, you would help us to put you first and remember who you are. And God, I pray that if any of us have have an idol, maybe it's Uh, something we just don't want to admit that we have or we don't want to see it, but I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put a spotlight on that idol and show us where it is and show us how it's changing our life. And I ask that you would provide us with what we need to replace it with you. So God, help us to look more like your son, Jesus, because the world really just needs more of Jesus. So God, help us to look away from the things of this world and set our focus on you. It's in your name I pray, amen.